Job chapter 22. Then Eliphaz the Temanite answered and said, Can a man be profitable to God? Surely he who is wise is profitable to himself. Is it any pleasure to the Almighty if you are in the right, or is it gain to him if you make your ways blameless? Is it for your fear of him that he reproves you and enters into judgment with you? Is not your evil abundant? There is no end to your iniquities, for you have exacted pledges of your brothers for nothing and stripped the naked of their clothing. You have given no water to the weary to drink, and you have withheld bread from the hungry. The man with power possessed the land, and the favoured man lived in it. You have sent widows away empty, and the arms of the fatherless were crushed. Therefore snares are all around you, and sudden terror overwhelms you. Or darkness, so that you cannot see, and a flood of waters covers you. Is not God high in the heavens? See the highest stars, how lofty they are. But you say, what does God know? Can he judge through the deep darkness? Thick clouds veil him, so that he does not see, and he walks on the vault of heaven. Will you keep to the old way that wicked men have trod? They were snatched away before their time. Their foundation was washed away. They said to God, Depart from us, and what can the Almighty do to us? Yet he filled their houses with good things, but the counsel of the wicked is far from them, from me. The righteous see it and are glad. The innocent are mock, one mocks at them, saying, Surely our adversaries are cut off, and what they left the fire has consumed. Agree with God and be at peace. Thereby good will come to you. Receive instruction from his mouth and lay up his words in your heart. If you return to the Almighty, you will be built up. If you remove injustice far from your tents, if you lay gold in the dust and gold of offer among the stones of the torrent bed, then the Almighty will be your gold and your precious silver. For then you will delight yourself in the Almighty and lift up your face to God. You will make your prayer to him and he will hear you, and you will pay your vows. You will decide on a matter and it will be established for you, and light will shine on your ways. For when they are humbled, you say, it is because of pride. But he says, the low, saves the lowly. He delivers even the one who is not innocent, who will be delivered through the cleanness of your hands. Then Job answered and said, Today also my complaint is bitter. My hand is heavy on account of my groaning. Oh, that I knew where I might find him, that I might come even to his seat. I would lay my case before him and fill my mouth with arguments. I would know what he would answer me and understand what he would say to me. Would he, be content, would he contend with me in the greatness of his power? No, he would pay attention to me. There an upright man could argue with him, and I would be acquitted forever by my judge. Behold, I go forward, but he is not there, and backward, but I do not perceive him. On the left hand, when he is working, I do not behold him. 
He turns to the right hand, but I do not see him. But he knows the way that I take. When he has tried me, I shall come out as gold. My foot has held fast to his steps. I have kept his ways and have not turned aside. I have not departed from the commandment of his lips. I have treasured the words of his mouth more than my portion of food. But he is unchangeable, and who can turn him back? What he desires, that he does, for he will complete what he appoints for me. And many such things are in his mind. Therefore I am terrified at his presence. When I consider, I am, I am in dread of him. God has made my heart faint. The Almighty has terrified me. Yet I am not silenced because of the darkness, nor because thick darkness covers my face. Do keep your Bibles open. Now, for the children, do follow George for Sunday school. Let me quickly pray for you and uh, Rob as well as he comes and speak. Let's pray. Father, thank you that we can come now and listen to your word. Give us, Lord, attentive ears. We pray for the children that they will listen. We pray for George that he will speak clearly. We pray for Rob that he will speak clearly. Amen. Well, hello everyone. It's wonderful to be here and wonderful to, to see you all. Um, uh, just before we get going, um, I'd like you to just turn to the person next to you and, and answer this question on the screen. Um, what puts us right with God? Uh, just throw out some answers, uh, the kind of things that people would say puts us right with God. Uh, chat to the person next to you for just two minutes. My guess is that somewhere along that conversation you said something like... Uh, Stopping the bad things we do and doing more good things. Might not necessarily be your opinion, but that is a very, very commonly held opinion, isn't it? How do, what puts us right with God? Well, stopping doing the bad things and starting to do good things. Often we think that if we stop the bad things we do or do less of them, and if we begin to do more of the things that God likes, that will earn his favour in the end. For some who realise that we're not all that successful at doing that, they've given it a go, and it's not so easy. Well, they'd say it's something slightly different. They'd say that it's not that God uh, says we've done enough good things, but that he sees the motivation within. And if the motivation is I want to please God, then it's okay. He'll see that and you'll be all right. We have to ask the question, is that right? It's quite an important question, isn't it? Because each of us here are going to have to answer that question, what puts me right with God? I'm going to have to answer that question, what puts me right with God? And so I thought um, we could just look at these two chapters in Job. Um, And and obviously they're quite long, and we've only just read two of them. We're going to read a little bit of the the, uh, chapter 24 in just a moment. And the book of Job is a troubling account of one man, a Christian man, A Christian man who'd lost everything. He hadn't misplaced these things. They'd been violently taken from him. That's all his family members, all his livelihood, even his own bill of health. And except for the three blokes, one of which we heard just a minute ago, Eliphaz, Job is utterly alone. And he's grieving terribly and he sat in the dust plagued with sores, he's miserable, he's broken. But yet we have so much to learn from this man and what he says about God. 
We have so much to learn from him because it's at this point that he sees things crystal clear. It's at this moment that he sees things the right way up. And he's going to help us to see what the answer to that question is. What puts us right with God? We're at the point where one of these men, Eliphaz, is having a third crack at the whip at trying to offer Job some advice. He's done it twice before. You can go back on our sermons on the website. Um, you can look back in the Bible yourself. He's, done, he's given three, two speeches already. This is his third crack of the whip. Eliphaz has worn through any small amount of sympathy he had for Job in the first place. We can tell that he's thoroughly frustrated with Job. But why is he so frustrated with him? Well, it's because they, the friends, Eliphaz... They won't back down from the conclusion they've made about Job. For all these bad things to happen to him, it must be that Job has done something terribly wrong. That's their conclusion. For all these bad things to have happened to Job, he must have done something terribly wrong. According to them, Job's sufferings are God's punishment. Um, So if you look down with me at verse uh, 5... It says, is not your evil abundant? There is no end to your iniquities. Job, however, maintains his innocence. He said, I haven't done these things. I don't know what it is. I don't know why I'm suffering. But it's not because of something I've done. And you can understand that if the friends are adamant, you've done something wrong, and Job's saying I'm innocent, you can understand where the, you know, it's back and forth, ding dong, We've had this in the book of Job, and it's continuing now in these chapters. Uh, So we're going to look at Eliphaz. What's Eliphaz's answer to that question, what puts us right with God? Well, his answer, tucked away in there, is stop doing wrong. We had it at the start, didn't we? This was the first thing we came up with, that answer. Stop doing wrong. But it's there, it's tucked away, but it's there. He says, turn from your injustice, Job. Eliphaz is going to put forward a very speculative list of what Job's sins might have been in just a moment. But first, in verse 2, he starts off with a sort of interesting way of trying to persuade Job. Let's read it together. He says, Can a man be profitable to God? Surely he who is wise is profitable to himself. What Eliphaz is urging Job to do is to, uh, to do it for himself, Job. He's saying... If you listen to us, Job, if you listen to God's discipline, then it's only you who will benefit from that. God's not going to benefit. So do it for yourself. Whether you choose to be wise and listen to us, Job, it doesn't benefit anyone but you. And what Eliphaz is urging Job to do is there in verse 23. Just look down with me at verse 23. If you return to the Almighty, you will be built up. If you remove injustice far from your tents, then the Almighty will be a delight to you, uh, like gold and silver. He will hear your prayers. Uh, he will establish your ways, and light will shine on you. So he's saying, stop doing wrong, Job, and it will start to go well with you. Is that the answer? To what makes us right with God. Eliphaz is saying that, that that's exactly it. If you stop doing wrong, 
you put away injustice from your ways, you will be in the right with God. And uh, of course, because Eliphaz is going to put forward this list of the things that Job might have done to sin, he's, he's looked at the fact that Job was rich. He's looked at the fact that Job was very rich, that Job had so many things, thousands of, of, of animals, seven children, I think, at one point, yeah. And he, he looks at these things and he says, well, what, to get all of that stuff, Job, you must have exalted someone. You must have cheated or lied or stolen or trodden on someone else. Um, let's have a read together um, at the list that um, Eliphaz comes up with in verses 5 to 11. Is not your evil abundant? Is there no end to your iniquities? For you have exacted pledges of your brothers for nothing and stripped them naked of their clothing. You have given no water to the weary to drink. You have withheld bread from the hungry. The man with power possessed the land and the favoured man lived in it. You have sent widows away empty and the arms of the fatherless were crushed. Therefore snares are all around you and sudden terror overwhelms you or darkness so that you cannot see and a flood of water covers you. He goes on in the next section to say, not only have you done this injustice, Job, to other people, but you're, you're, you're claiming yourself to be wiser than God. How can you claim to be wiser than God? But yet you're challenging God's wisdom. You say, what does God know? So Eliphaz has had enough. And he's saying, Job, stop doing wrong. That's the hope for you. That's the only hope for you, Job. Put away your injustice. Um, next week, uh, we'll look at chapter 24, and Bildad, um, who's a mate of Eliphaz, um, he's going to ask this question. He's going to ask in verse uh, 24, verse, sorry, 25, verse 4. If you look over the page, 25, verse 4. He's going to ask the question again. This is a question that Eliphaz asked first time he spoke to Job. How then can man be in the right before God? How can he who is born of woman be pure? That's our question, isn't it? How can we be right with God? What puts us right with God? They're still asking the question. They haven't got any answers. And Job's answer is different. Job says, uh, we're going to look back at chapter 23. Um, it's a shorter reply um, in chapter 23. Job says this, I will be acquitted. Um, let's look down and look at um, verse 7 of chapter 23. He's just talked about if he could go to God, if he could present his case to God uh, before him, then, or there, in verse 7, an upright man could argue with him and I would be acquitted forever by my judge. Job's saying, if I could put my case to God, my complaint to him, which I will do in the future, at that point he is going to acquit me. My judge is going to say, you're not guilty. But, verse 8 and 9. Where is he? I can't see him. Where is God? If I could find him, if I could speak to him, if I could bring my complaint not to, to, to you guys, you miserable friends, but to God, then he would acquit me, but where is he? If I go forward, he is not there. And backward, I do not perceive him. On the left hand, when he, is, when he is working, I do not behold him. He turns to the right hand, but I do not see him. That's how it feels when you go through suffering. 
Where, where is God? Is he here? Can he hear me? Job knows that he will be declared righteous by God. He has done nothing wrong. But it feels like God is far from him. And there's a sort of a verse 10. Um, it's slightly sort of an irony uh, in verse 10. He knows the ways that I take. I can't see God. I can't find him. But he watches my every move. He knows everything about what I do. In verse 10, he knows the ways that I take. When he has tried me, I shall come out as gold. My foot has kept to his steps. I have kept his way and have not turned aside. I have not departed from the commandment of his lips. I have treasured the words of his mouth more than my portion of food. This is a comfort for Job for the future. And we're going to see that actually Job says, I will be acquitted not on the basis of never sinning, He's not claiming that. He's claiming they will be acquitted because God, his judge, acquits him. And because there is a sacrifice for his sin. And yet at the moment, it feels as if God is far from him. That's the experience of suffering. It feels like God is very distant. And in verses 13 to 16, the God that he will present his case to and who will acquit him is unchangeable. Who can turn him back? What he desires, that he does. He will complete what he appoints. It's pretty frightening, isn't it, to to be in the presence of someone who is all-powerful. We can't change what he decides. He does what he pleases. Job says, I shudder at his might, at his power. And because he has terrified me, um, Job says that, um, verse 15, therefore I am terrified at his presence when I consider I am in dread of him. God has made my heart faint. The Almighty has terrified me. Because God has chosen these things for Job. He's not terrified, he's not in fear of the final judgment from God. But he is in fear of what might happen in his life now. And what God might choose to give him in this life now. He's, he's, he's terrified. But I said, didn't I, that, that Job's confidence, his hope, his answer to the question, what puts me in the right with God, is not himself and his ways but a sacrifice for sin. Um, uh, you don't need to look at it, it's on the screen. Chapter 1, verse 5, the first thing pretty much we find out about Job, other than the riches and all the stuff he has, is this. Job would send and consecrate them, his children, and he would rise early in the morning and offer burnt sacrifices according to the number of the, all his children. For Job said, it may be that my children have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. What's What's Job's understanding of sin, of God's justice, of his judgment? It's death. He knows something must die. And he puts his trust in the burnt offering. In fact, he puts his trust in the burnt offering not for his own sins, but for the sins of his children. And if you want to find out what someone is trusting in before God, 
look at what they're trusting in for their children. Because if they're, trust, if they're trusting in the, for their children, uh, results, success, money, power, influence, popularity, you can bet yourself that that's what they're trusting in for themselves. And yet Job himself is saying, the burnt offering is the thing that I will trust in. The only thing that will, can take the punishment for sin, can make me right before God, and can make my children right before God. Job is one who has seen the mercy and the justice of God. He takes seriously the sacrifice that God had commanded for. It's only this sacrifice for sin, in this case, the death of a spotless animal, but which pointed to the death of Jesus on the cross. It's only that that can make him right before God. And so he can can say confidently, I will be acquitted. God will declare me not guilty. It's only a death for sin that carries forward both the justice of God, his perfect justice, and his mercy towards sinners. It's only a sacrifice for sin. So Job's answer is, what puts me right with God is, is the lamb, is the sacrifice, is the Lord Jesus Christ. That and that alone. When I stand before God, and he, I, he will be my judge. The only thing that is going to equip me is Jesus and his sacrifice. Because of the cross, we can be sure of two things. We can be sure that there will be a final judgment for sin. And we can be sure that we can be forgiven of that sin, of our sins. God's justice and his wrath are so serious that the only way they could be satisfied is his precious and perfect son, Jesus being crushed Eliphaz and his friends were wrong they said how can man be in the right with God Jesus that's the way that man can be right with God so what does this mean for us then well it means that if we have our confidence in ourselves in anything that we do or don't do then that is a very Dangerous place to have our confidence. We'll turn up, we'll rock up and see God face to face, and we'll assume that he's going to say, what have you done? He's not going to say that. He's going to say, what has my son done? And what did you believe about that? Did you receive it for yourself, for your sins? Did you receive the forgiveness, my mercy, that comes through his sacrifice? Um, we are going to look a little bit at chapter 24. Um, hopefully that's not going to overwhelm us, um, but I hope you can just stick with me for a little bit longer. Is that right? Great. Um, chapter 24. We're going to look at the very last verse of chapter 23. Verse 17 says, Yet I am not silenced. So Job needs to wait to bring his case to God. He knows he's going to have to do that in the future. He can't do that now. But he's not silenced, and he's going to speak up. What's he going to speak up in chapter 4, in chapter 24? He's going to speak up about injustice for those who are living under oppression. That's what he's going to use his voice to speak up about. He says, yet I am not silenced because of the darkness. 
nor because thick darkness covers my face. Verse 1 of 24. Why are not times of judgment kept by the Almighty, and why do those who know him never see his days? And then the sum he's referring to in chapter, uh, verse 2, um, uh, for the f- 2 to 4, is the wicked, those who oppress others. He says in verses 2 to 4, Some move landmarks, they seize flocks and pasture them, they drive away the donkey of the fatherless, they take the widow's ox for a pledge. They thrust the poor off the road, the poor of the earth all hide themselves. The strong steal from the helpless. And something about Job's experience of unanswered injustice puts him very, very close in his heart to those who are going through that injustice. Other people who are being oppressed and have unanswered cries for help. And he turns, his thoughts turn to those who are doing the oppression, who are abusing the weak. It's almost as if he said... Um, of, remember Eliphaz is saying, you didn't do this for the widow, you didn't do this for the fatherless. He says, you want to talk about them? Fine, let's talk about them. But I will speak of them, and, and I will, it will prove that what you're saying about um, those doing good, prosper, um, those who do bad, um, get it in the neck, is going to prove you wrong. Uh, in verses 5 to 12, he turns his, his gaze... Um, to those who are suffering under this oppression. And I thought we could just have a look at this. It's amazing that the Bible speaks about our world so clearly, isn't it? But that's because it's God's word. And and let's have a look together at verses 5 to 12. And maybe you will see something in here that resonates with you as you look around and see the injustice and the oppression that people are living under. Maybe not here, maybe in your lives, maybe family members, maybe your home country. Let's have a read. Behold, like wild donkeys in the desert, the poor go out to their toil, seeking game. The wasteland yields food for their children. They gather their fodder in the field, and they glean the vineyard of the wicked man. They lie all night naked, without clothing, and have no covering in the cold. They are wet with the rain in the mountains, and cling to the rock, for lack of shelter. There are those who snatch the fatherless child from the breast, and they take a pledge against the poor. They go about naked without clothing, hungry, they carry the sheaves. Among the olive rows of the wicked they make oil. They tread the winepresses, but suffer thirst. From out of the city the dying groan, and the soul of the wounded cries for help, yet God charges no one with wrong. There's a cruel irony to injustice and to people suffering under oppression. It's that... They get the stuff taken from them, their fields taken from them by the strong, and then they get put to work on the fields, on their own fields, to reap for the wicked, the one who stole from them in the first place. So it says, um, they glean all day, and they glean the vineyard. There's plenty, but what do they have? Nothing. They don't even have a covering for night. So they're shivering cold, naked at night time. They have nothing. They do all this work. There's all this stuff all around them. And yet they they get to receive none of it. Isn't that a picture of injustice? Isn't that a picture of oppression? The Bible speaks so clearly of these things. It doesn't deny that this is what the world is like. And um, we're just going to carry on. Verse 12. 
um, it says that at this point, though their groans, their cries for help are audible, they can be heard, but God doesn't answer anyone. He, he doesn't charge people with the wrong that they've done. That's what it says in verse 12. Um, From out the city, the dying groan and the soul of the wounded cries for help, yet God charges no one with wrong. At this point, God charges no one. The wicked go seemingly unpunished. And in the next little section, verses 13, 17, uh, he says, Job says, you know, the other thing that makes it so easy for them to do wicked is darkness, is night time. Because if they want to hide what they're doing, they've got the perfect cover. The poor don't have a cover at night time. They shiver, they're cold. But the wicked use the cover of night to do their wickedness. It's almost like it aids their wickedness. And even down in verse um, 18, um, 18 to 20, he says, um, you say that their the, the time is short. Swift are they on the face of the waters. But in verse 21... And 22, he says the opposite. He says, the truth is that God prolongs their days. A friend of ours in, 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 church, in our churches um, died um, he, on Friday. So, godly bloke, a lovely Christian man, a preacher. His life was cut short. And yet, as far as I can tell, Vladimir Putin is still alive and well. And, 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 and Job says, that's the world that we live in. For now, for now, God prolongs the days of the wicked. It's not true what you say. The friends are saying, you know, it's always the case that the wicked die young and the, the, the good prosper. It's just not true. It's just not true. And here he says that God does it. God prolongs, uh, verse 22, yet God prolongs the life of the mighty by his power. They rise up, I think that's a a phrase referring to death, when they despair of life. (laughs) They have to get to the point where they think, I can't be bothered anymore, I don't want to be here anymore. Before they actually lose their life, they might die in old age. He gives them security, verse 23, and they are supported and his eyes are upon their ways. In, in fact, the, where Job ends up in verses 24 to 25 is basically to say, the only thing I can agree with you on is that we all go to the grave in the end. <laughs> That's the only thing he says we can all agree on. In verse 24, they are exalted a little while and then they are gone. They are brought low and gathered up like all others. They are cut off like the heads of grain. And he says, if it is not so, if this is not true, what I'm saying, then who will prove me a liar and show that there is nothing in what I say? So he says, let's talk about the the oppressed. Let's talk about the injustice in the world. And it proves you wrong. It proves their theory that God is just rewarding good people and punishing bad people in this life. It proves it wrong.
Well, what does this mean for us? We're going back to that question. What puts us right with God? How will you answer that question? When, what will mean that God declares you not guilty, even though you're a sinner, even though I'm a sinner? The answer of Eliphaz and the friends is, we've heard, stop doing the wrong things you're doing. Then God will be happy with you. Very, very interesting. You look at the last chapter of Job, chapter 42. Um, God's confronted Job. He's, he, he then confronts the friends and he says this. Um, he says, um, the Lord said to Eliphaz the Temanite, my anger burns against you and against your two friends. You have not spoken of me what is right, as my servant Job has. Now therefore, take seven bulls and seven rams, and go to my servant Job and offer up a burnt offering for yourselves. He takes them right back to where we started in the book of Job. Where Job started saying, I'm a sinner. I can't pay for my sin. If I did, there'd be hell to pay. I'd, I'd have to... Face God's judgment, and I need a sacrifice for sin. I need someone to take that punishment for myself. And, and, and God says, the friends, you've not spoken about me what is right. You haven't got my justice right. You haven't got my mercy right. You haven't got me right. And you need a sacrifice for sin. That's the only way you can be in the right with me. So, if we are someone who would have started off today thinking, you know what, my confidence, my hope is going to be that I will do, good, do well enough for that day. I hope this cha- these chapters have blown that out of the water. Because God says, my anger burns against you. The only way that you're, that can be different, the story can be different, is if his anger burns against his son on the cross so that we can be safe forever God's anger burned towards those who trusted in themselves that was until Job made the sacrifice for them and simply we need a sacrifice for sin we need the final sacrifice of Christ Tim Keller, the guy I mentioned a bit earlier, he finished his day saying this. He said, I'm thankful for all the people I'm thankful for all the people who prayed for me over the years. I'm thankful for my family that loves me. I'm thankful for the time God has given me. But I'm ready to see Jesus. I can't wait to see Jesus. He had the confidence in the face of death, in the face of cancer to say, I can't wait to be Jesus. It's going to be fantastic. I know he will look at me and he'll say, not guilty. Wouldn't it be great if that's true of us? Let's pray. Father God, this is your world. You rule and reign in it. And you sent your son into this world to redeem sinners. He came to seek and save the lost. 
He came for those who are not, not the righteous, but who are sinners. Lord, would you help us to turn to him, to put our trust in his sacrifice, that our pride wouldn't take us to hell. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.